Hello and welcome to the Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's ep, we may just kind of touch on the Matildas a little bit, despite the heartbreaking loss to England last night. Uh, We are still on a high, but also today we look at the research showing the benefits of corporate partners investing in women's sport. We look at the federal government's new targets to end violence against women. Plus, a little bizarre public reaction to a photo of female Japanese government delegates that shows the double standard still very much exists and it's deeply problematic. Thank you for listening. We're recording this episode of The Crux on the 17th of August, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm joining you from Gadigal land. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. I am joining you guys from Bundjalung country today. So much to discuss this week, and we have just had a little quick chat about it and decided that we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on the Matildas because I feel we've covered a lot of it on our website. We've got plenty of stories there and on a huge high, but there is there is some to share. So we'll get to that in a moment. But let's start with wins that don't involve what the last few weeks has been for women's sport. Tyler, what's your win? <laughs> My win is just seeing, look, it's it's pretty hard to be condemned by Pauline Hansen for derogatory comments, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would mm. say. But Pauline Hansen has actually stepped in and sacked Mark Latham. That's how low he's managed to go. He has been sacked as the leader of One Nation New South Wales this week. So that is my win because I think... My God, is that high time. Um, so Latham made a public statement on Facebook uh, this week. He's very disgruntled at Hanson, by the way. And he said that the leader of the One Nation Party had taken over the party's branch in New South Wales without consultation or due process to use her national executive powers to make that call and get rid of him. It comes off the back of the defamation case brought against Latham by independent MPE Alex Greenwich who was subjected to an incredibly homophobic tweet from Latham earlier this year, which Latham maintained was his honest opinion and never apologised for it. In fact, I think he really doubled down on the fact that he wasn't going to apologise for it. Shock, horror. Um, We're definitely not used to that from Mark Latham. Um, But, yeah, look, Mark Latham and Hanson have not seen eye to eye on this, so uh, Mm. she got rid of him. He's gone. Pauline Hansen putting her foot down. I mean, um, look, yeah. I mean, the likelihood of Mark Latham actually staying down is slim to none. Yeah. But at least it's it's something, you know. Um, I'm sure he will rear his head in many ways, in many ugly ways from here on out. But And likely uh, show some more due process before uh, tweeting. I mean, I'm I'm sure he's all about the due process there. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm, I don't have high hopes for that. But look, I think you know it's mm. it's good that he has had some kind of comeuppance from the fact that he was absolutely repugnant earlier this year and has been repugnant on various occasions. And you know, this is just one measure to to hopefully curb him um, the next time he does try to do something as abhorrent. Ange. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, my win uh, will be quite different. Uh, so my win is Michelle uh, Jabalko, who has been appointed as the new CEO of Transurban. 
transurban, I mean, I'm not necessarily all about transurban, but uh, in terms of women in leadership, I think this is a great news story. Transurban is one of the 20 top listed companies in Australia. It is massive. And this latest appointment means that women now lead six of the ASX 20. So six of the 20 listed uh, organisations on the ASX, meaning it's you know, more than a quarter now, which is a bit of a milestone. Clearly, there's a lot more to do. And um, maybe it's kind of amusing that we celebrate that, but still, it's something we're getting there. And I think that what I like about this appointment also, and it has been brought up by some commentators in and various business press today, is that it does show that the larger employers are doing a lot more to nurture female talent. And so you see how there's, you know, six female CEOs in the ASX 20, but then, and I think it's around 18% then in the ASX 50, when you get to the ASX 20, there are only like 22 or so CEOs. Uh, So putting it to around 11%. So you get this thing where the big employers that, you know, they must be doing so much more to make it happen. And that is now showing through. And I imagine we're on a way to getting somewhere closer to 50-50 with those top 20 and and possibly more to at least a quarter and to 50-50 the the top 50 then as well but you know as the company gets smaller so too does uh, representation and for, for women in in leadership but yeah congratulations to Michelle yeah that's a good one I like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we it's wanted not, to it... touch on the Matildas as a win as well so we have to go there let's do it Yeah, look, this is a joint win. Let's go with it. Obviously, it is very heartbreaking, the result last night. And I know, you know, many Australians are gutted and the Matildas would have been gutted as well. But I think broadly, they have just done so much to unify the country over recent weeks. You know, the the records that they've broken in terms of their own achievements, but, you know, what the flow-on impact of that has been for engagement levels and, you know, just instilling that kind of spirit and excitement in the whole country is just has been just a, amazing to watch so mm. um yeah I loved watching the game last night despite the result and I am looking forward to kind of following on the Matilda's journey and and getting I think it has actually made me feel like I just want to get more absorbed in in women's sport mm. and so I think that that's that's the real legacy of what they've managed to achieve mm. yeah yeah I think like um just to sort of rattle off some of the numbers I know that we've shared this everyone's sharing this but I think it's nice to remember that Saturday's game was the most watched sporting event in 18 years highest attended football game has been achieved by the Matildas mm. during this World Cup I liked the report today from Seven uh, basically they've experienced a Matildas halo effect mm. uh, on their share price uh, despite <laughs> the share price dropping so that is sort of helped it along which is really interesting when you consider like seven basically paid like nothing for the right stuff like four million dollars was it? yeah four or five million dollars to host like 25 percent of the games and what they got out of it it's like anyway you'd be an absolute idiot to ignore this and to not be negotiating a lot more and to get a lot more players negotiating for these rights later on there was a report out in the smh earlier on in the week talking about there being a 160 percent uptick in kids signing up to play soccer boys and girls in new mm. south wales which is so cool that it's directly having an impact on sports and at the the grassroots level but you know the main thing i think is just the the unity like the one key thing that everyone was kind of for and focused on and 
I actually had a little 5am sort of hunt through things. I was trying to find people who were saying negative things about the Matildas. This is yesterday morning. I was like, surely there are, I don't know, Andrew Boltz or various other people, (laughs) Steve Price, who, I don't know, who just uh, are going to say some not so nice things. And there had been a few weeks back, particularly when they came out with that um, equal pay video, you know, the, some commentators basically suggesting like they, they should just play football, like they shouldn't be getting involved in this and they're basically missing the entire history of women's football that has been in really politically active, particularly the um, the US team. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I struggled to find anything. I, I did actually hear Steve Price. I mean, he did use the he did use it to have another dig at the AFLW, um, basically comparing <laughs> the games. Which like, he hates. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I actually think like with this, it's a perfect example of what happens when you start to invest and, and put more into a sport and, and get more people involved and active around it. You see the results. And I think that this can follow on for other women's sports too, particularly some of those those newer football competitions. Yeah, I do hope that that's what kind of carries on for, from it that, you know, and I, I think it will, but I think we, we still need to be investing really hard in women's sport, which is another story that we'll come to today, incidentally. But it is just a, a testament to what can actually be brought about and what kind of, um, you know, we know that sport is such a big part of our national identity in Australia. It, it, it really is. It's something that always has unified us, but it's really unified us from a single gender till this point and Mm. it's just really nice that now we're getting to I guess come at it from a different perspective and have different people be like different groups be emboldened and empowered by it yeah so one just final quick point on this so my four-year-old uh is uh (laughs) I feel like I have some work to do now to turn things the other way almost for him because he's looking at it and he actually he's like I don't like why can't I be a Matilda and he's looking at the game last night bless him why are there no boys (laughs) and then he would like he looked into the stands at one point and said oh there's a boy (laughs) and I was like and he actually made this sad face like this like he was like just shocked like this isn't fair I mean I don't know I've got to explain that you know there there are the socceroos there's other opportunities (laughs) plenty plenty of opportunities don't worry Riley you will be fine (laughs) it's just so weird I was like wow look at this little blank slate who's like already being impacted by this and think about all the little four-year-old girls who felt the same thing for like ever decades so yeah so maybe we get onto the corporate sponsor story do you want to uh start there Tala Yeah, so um, recent research has highlighted the value of investing in women's elite sport for corporate partners. So findings from the value of You Can Be What You Can See report, which was released by the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation this week, shows that for every dollar a corporate sponsor invests into the visibility of women's elite sport, the organisation gains on average $7.29 in customer value. So that's just mammoth. (laughs) Hmm. Um, returns. I don't know. I just think if I was some like, return. I was like about that. investing in something. <laughs> oh yeah. I just looked at that and I was like, oh right. Yeah. That's that's so, actually so they get seven times. Pretty considerable. <laughs> um, so over the past decade. And I'm gonna guess that this report was also done before this like Matilda's era, like before the past few weeks as well. So this doesn't even count like what, you know, say what yeah. Combank is gonna get in return or yeah, 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 um, yeah. various other sponsors. Um, Coca-Cola is another big one. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. 
Mm, Um, No, you're right. So over the past decade, women's elite sport all over Australia has seen incredible growth. However, industry benchmarks show that the value of women's elite sport properties is currently only 12% the level of men's elite sport properties. And this is despite the research finding that early corporate supporters of women's elite sport are benefiting from more than $650 million in customer value annually. A key difference between sponsorship of men's and women's elite sports is that when corporate sponsors invest in women, they benefit from improved brand attributes and increased employee satisfaction as well. So in order to equalize participation and fan bases between men's and women's sports, the research showed that sporting organizations need to increase their investment into the visibility of women's elite sport to three to four times the current levels. There you go. That's hmm. that's a pretty hmm. uh, that's a pretty illuminating study, I would say. You know, so I think yeah, it goes to show that it's not just an altruistic thing. You know, we're not we're not just trying to like support women's sport for the sake of women's sport. It's the same thing as you know diversity and inclusion. We're not just spruiking diversity and inclusion for the sake of spruiking diversity and inclusion. It's like there's a very clear business case to these things. Um, if you mm. need the business case outside of it all, like that that's what it is and like the investment and what will be yielded as a result is huge, huge. Yeah, I mean, because there's two parts to that there. So they've got the corporate sponsor side of it. Then they're also showing this, um, what happens when sporting organisations actually play their role as well. And that they, what is it? That they they need to increase their visibility to um, women's elite sport are three to four times the current level. And you just think, okay, if the corporate's going to see what's happening with the returns, that seven-time return situation, then it'd be pretty, you'd be pretty silly to be a sporting organisation and to not then go, okay, well, we can, th- there's going to be more corporate sponsors here. They're seeing the value here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a run-on effect from this. We should be uh, investing into the visibility of the women's sports that we have. I think we do, so we do see that quite a bit, particularly AFLW, you do see the investment there. And I think also there's that investment, that idea that it is a long-term play. Like those competitions are still so new and they're still developing and they have come an extraordinarily uh, far place nationally over the past few years and that's mm-hmm. only going to build up and increase. So, yeah, two two sides there. So corporate sponsors get in and sponsor. Clearly it's great for your bottom line and clearly it's great for your employees as well and the sporting organisation should should really pick it up. And I think we also need to end this. Like I've heard people talking about how like the Netball World Cup, you know, Australia won the World Cup in the netball and as if netball is sort of falling by the wayside because it didn't get the attention of the Soccer World Cup and therefore that soccer is going to be the women's sport going forward. It's like we can have multiple sports. Mm. Like that is possible and that's likely a good thing. And I, I do think it is unfortunate for the Australian netball team that, mm. you know, they possibly didn't get the attention this time. But I also do think, you know, the, the FIFA Women's World Cup is is a much more international competition and it's sort of fair play that it would get this huge amount of attention and um, the shift as well in terms of the talent that we have in, in football and, in, you know, the men's and women's teams over the past couple of decades. Like Australia's really you know, come around that. So, my point there is being that women can play multiple sports. It's not just one and all the others, you know, miss out. So, yeah, good story. I think if anything, like, you know, that just is a benchmark of what can be created, you know. Like now yeah. we know what can kind of go into women's sport, what engagement can be generated from women's sport, you know, what kind of unity can be generated from women's sport and that can be replicated 
and it should mm. be replicated. And, you know, yeah, I think there is a case in netball because it is a sport that is just entirely dominated by women. Like it's not a men's and women's game really. And so there's probably, it's probably a bit more of a unique nuanced issue there I think you know and that's one that maybe we'd get into at a different point as as to why a sport that is just dominated by women perhaps doesn't have the same kind of support as other sports that are for Mm. both genders but yeah I mean look I I think ultimately this is just a win for all sport and for you know women and men moving forward in sport Um, Mm. this has really shown what is possible. Mm. Yes. Okay. So I I am going to move us into another very, very big story this week, which is looking at the federal government's new targets for ending violence against women and children, including creating a dedicated Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander action plan for the first time. I'm going to get to that. I wanted to, like, this is a, a weird link, but it's sort of just come to me and I thought it was worthwhile sharing, particularly in the context of sport. But um, a few years ago, I remember reporting on stats from the New South Wales Bureau of Crime and Statistics and Research, which would find found that um, there was a 40.7% increase in domestic violence and uh, 71.8% in non-domestic assaults across New South Wales on state of origin game days. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have the figures. I can't make a clear uh, point and <laughs> distinction between the two things, but I don't think that that uptick is occurring during the Women's World Cup or these women's games. what From what I've read, sadly I haven't been able to get to any of the games in person, but is it when you're there, like what is happening in the stands, and I imagine this you know, may or may not translate into homes across Australia as well, is this very different kind of vibe from, from different, from other sports where um, a really uh, family-friendly vibe. Like I heard somebody mm-hmm. describe it as like the noise is different. It, it, mm-hmm. it sounds completely different mm-hmm. in, in these stadiums compared to when you're seeing the NRL or AFL or something else. So mm-hmm. it would be really interesting to look at the stats on that because obviously, you know, the engagement was so high. People were watching this game, like all families were watching the Matildas throughout the, the entire tournament. And I think with the state of origin, with that uptick, it was very closely related to alcohol yeah. and, you know, that culture of needing to drink while watching State of Origin. Mm-hmm. And you do, I do wonder, you know, like whether or not, as you say, because it is quite a different cultural shift and, you know, the vibe of the Matildas and the, the World Cup was just such a different kind of feel, whether or not that would have mm. translated to less drinking really. And it would be interesting mm. to kind of look yeah. at yeah. what the, the figures are from that. I wonder if we'll be able to to kind of hunt yeah. that out at some point. It'll come out eventually. Um, unfortunately, it's always quite late. But, I mean, I should say those figures that I quoted, they're quite old. That was sort of in the lead up to 2017. So things may have, have shifted since then. But uh, it was definitely quite interesting at that time. And you're right, it was definitely linked to alcohol use. And, I mean, I'm sure there was plenty of alcohol last night as well. Like that, it, it, it's not a sure thing just because it's a women's game and everyone's suddenly going to drink mm-hmm. sensibly or something. But, like, yeah, I, I just wonder about that that different sort of vibe. And maybe it's also because more kids are involved that that family feel might be creating something. We don't know. But um, to get to the action plan, so Social Services Minister Amanda Rishworth launched the five-year plan which is aiming to reduce the number of women killed by intimate partner violence by 25% each year 
Um, the government will also establish that national peak body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander family safety to address the disproportionate rates of violence against Indigenous women, which is around 36 times the rate of non-Indigenous women mm. in terms of being hospitalised as a, as a result of violence and eight times the uh, murder rate, which is mm. really Mm. horrible to think about. So that body will be under what's described as the first dedicated action plan for Indigenous Australians. And they said that the three-year plan will be aligned with closing the gap targets, halving the rate of all forms of family violence and abuse against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and children by 2031. I guess uh, just sort of put a quick thought out here from me, I'm just going to the the more general action plan, reducing by 25% each year. I know the government also has a goal of reducing of eliminating this violence within a lifetime. Um, it's good to sort of have a plan. Obviously, you need a plan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's good to that they do want to be reporting on the um, stats and to be updating the stats and having some transparency there. But looking at the funding, I think it still goes back to the funding. I don't think there's enough funding. Well, no. When you it's look more at than we've the- had in previous years, but it's just not. It's not. Yeah, when you look at the gravity of the crisis, it just seems like it, it's not it's not scratching the surface. But look, I think that these things are good, and at least there is more kind yeah. of structured and strategic approach into how we actually address this. And I think you know one that's actually being fought through, which I don't necessarily feel has been the case for quite a long time. You know, I think that previous governments have not known how to mm. address this, and and it is like it's a, just such a huge complex crisis but it's it's something it's not everything but I I also kind of want to make the point about the fact that plans like this and targets like this are going to be further enhanced if we had something like the voice in place you know where indigenous communities and leaders can actually have Mm. input on policies that directly involve them and this is such a clear case of where you know that input could be really valuable and could help us to to kind of create a new pathway forward and and maybe create solutions in ways that we haven't been able to do before you know um Mm. and it is about just listening to those communities you know it's it's Mm. really that simple so yeah that's the only other point i'd i'd add but look i think it's promising i think it's it's a good target and at least there are metrics in place to kind of hold them accountable to what they're saying and I do I, I do feel like there's at least a clear kind of purpose and agenda to try to do things differently. Mm. Mm. Should we move on to our final story? Let's do it. A bit of a curious one. It's hard to <laughs> articulate this story without the, the image. You need the image but um, Tyler it's a bit of a Santa Marin moment in Japan it's just I think it's a moment that we've seen lots of times before but in different kind of ways Uh, so there were three Japanese women who were members of ruling Liberal Democratic Party research mission to France and they have faced considerable backlash on social media over the fact that they posted touristy photos of themselves while on the trip and which one, like they included ones of, you know, doing silly poses in front of the Eiffel Tower, um, mm. which, you know, seems pretty standard. I mean, it wasn't that silly. That, that's why I was like, I think we need the photo. It's like they put their hands in the air like they were a tower. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty standard tourist photo in front of an Eiffel Tower. And 
the criticism that they've faced since posting these photos basically circulates around the fact that they're not taking their job seriously enough and they are posting these flippant photos while people are struggling with tax hikes and high prices and how dare they mm. and can't they be, be taking, you know, their work more more seriously and why aren't they being more grave about what, what's in front of them? And they've actually had to go, these, these women, these members of the Liberal Democratic Party have actually had to apologise publicly over the photos taken, um, mm. you know, and, they, like, again, it's this idea that, women in politics or leadership can't actually be seen to be human. Like if you're, if you're mm. in that position, then you have to be some kind of robot. You have to be austere. You have to be seen to be serious at all times. Otherwise you're not worthy of that position that you're in. But then equally there's that double standard that exists. It's like, you know, why isn't she warm enough? Why isn't she nurturing enough? Why isn't she smiling enough? It's like no mm. one can win that. And again, you know, you made that point about Santa Marin when she was caught up in that dancing scandal. Like she was at a, a nightclub and was photos of her were taken dancing and it was like, you know, how could she be how could she be mm. dancing? You know, she's mm. the prime minister. What what like what could possibly be going through her head to be actually having fun like a human? Um mm. <laughs> So, I mean, look, it's a weird one. Um, we'll do, we've got a piece up today on it. But, yeah, look, I think it's it's hard yards. It's hard yards for women in politics or women in leadership still and yeah. navigating that space at all times and navigating how to do things the right way and not be criticised for every goddamn thing. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't want to be doing it. And it's especially hard yards in Japan. Like that's the thing. They they, they really <laughs> yeah. need more to, women to feel comfortable to put their hand up to run for office there and to be in leadership mm. because they are, Japan does appallingly on gender equality. It's it's ranked 120th or something according to the World Economic Forum yeah. on the Gender Equality Index. They have yeah. like a 25% pay gap. It's the biggest of the, the group of seven. I think they've got like maybe two women in cabinet of 18 or something. Like it's so... Yeah, yeah. Things aren't going great in yeah, Japan. Yeah, for a developed like, country, it's particularly yeah. Just bad. 14.7% of senior management positions are held by women. Mm-hmm. That was in 2021. In Australia, that's more like 40% or something. Like that's, I mean, you can see mm-hmm. it's there's so much work to do on gender equality there. Um, I know there's a yeah. lot of other issues there too in terms of women being able to work and, and the childcare situation there too. But I mean, at least to have more representation in, in politics would be a huge leg up. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I look forward to reading that story. It's it's interesting. Oh, it's just ridiculous, I think, is my takeaway from it. It's yeah. just like it's so ridiculous. Like clearly people have to work and then they have lives outside of it. Like if they're going to see the Eiffel Tower on a trip to Paris, it's okay. It's, mm. it's not you know, taking them away from their work there. Like it's. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the Eiffel Tower, I mean, it can be hard not to see. So, you know, they could have been between <laughs> yeah, true. and just, yeah, thought they'd stop. And But meanwhile, how many times and... do we see male politicians doing completely like trivial, stupid things, like while on similar trips, you know, just in yeah. pubs sinking beers? Like why are yeah. we okay with that? Yeah. It's just yeah. like. But three women yeah. enjoying themselves now. Yeah. Um, taking a photo speaking of that I thought that um I might end on a final thought that came up today in our slack chat regarding the cage fight situation oh my god 
<laughs> so basically, uh, so for those who don't know, um, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk had challenged each other to a cage fight. So two of the best known entrepreneurs and businessmen in the world are basically, you know, saying that this is going to happen, acting like, <laughs> what, 13-year-old boys. So they've challenged themselves to like an actual cage fight to settle their differences about whatever like Zuckerberg launched threads a Twitter rival and Musk wasn't happy with it because you know his Twitter that he you know turned to shit like obviously he didn't want someone putting a competitor Zuckerberg like I find this story fascinating Zuckerberg is a trained fighter like he actually does this stuff he's you know obviously has the money can find the time or whatever to work on his fitness and to work on his jiu-jitsu or whatever he does in martial arts Elon Musk is not (laughs) so funny so Musk was the first to pull the plug because maybe he realised this, even though Musk was kind of the instigator of it. He likely realised he would lose, but he's saying that, you know, he can't because, I don't know, he's having surgery or something. Zuckerberg had set a date. They said they were going to raise money for charity, which is an even stupider aspect of this it's because, so like, dull. why don't they just give money to charity <laughs> instead of raising money for charity? Literally also, the like, richest has, people in the world. Has anyone, has anyone actually expressed any desire to watch these two clowns in a ring together? Like no, I just no, 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 I would totally watch it. Like it's just <laughs> I just what like, message does it send to everybody? Oh my like, God. Yeah. I love this morning this like so the piece that we um, were looking at this morning was like Mark Zuckerberg tells Elon Musk he's not taking it seriously. It's like no one is taking this fucking seriously. You two are absolute idiots. Like and like just imagine, imagine two women of that sort of level of international fame challenging Yeah, they, yeah the like Sheryl Sher- Sandberg and <laughs> and Melinda Gates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just and I always just think that would like be good. you know, I mean I joke that yeah, I'd want to watch it because I just I think that it would bring these uh, men back to boys or something like you know for what they actually are like it would highlight the ridiculousness of that whole situation because they they're not going to look like heroes when they're in that cage um but I guess at the same time obviously we don't want boys and girls and men and women and people who are aspiring (laughs) to build things and create cool stuff and get into tech and innovation and stuff to actually see that and think that that is a good way to behave right so yeah I mean look I think the I think the benefit is that there's likely no one on this planet that is looking at Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk right now and thinking that their behavior is normal like I just yeah. don't think they're just completely bizarre but it's just embarrassing if nothing else like I find it so embarrassing I find the whole thing like why would you want that to be your brand do you think that people are looking at you thinking you're cool and like badass like no one is thinking yeah. that like we're all just thinking what giant losers <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh yes anyway. um that's a good note to end on <laughs> yeah I mean I think if you have to go and see a doctor to make sure it's okay for you to go into a cage fight like just <laughs> maybe don't offer <laughs> to do it anyway we will end there so thank you for listening to the women's agenda podcast a reminder that you can catch up with all the stories that we've discussed at womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and tyler and i will not be challenging each other to a cage fight not today today. (laughs) anyway thank you for listening